Hello, I'm Alison Wilson, Linklater's Global Head of Dispute Resolution and Chair of our Investigations Cross-Practice Initiative. I'm delighted to welcome you to the Linklater's Investigations Insights podcast. In this podcast series, thought leaders and subject matter experts from our Investigations Network explore some of the challenges and complexities that specialists' investigation work can present and share best practice and guidance. Thanks for joining us. I hope you find the episode useful. Hello, I am Sandeep Chala, a Managing Associate in Linklater's Financial Regulation Group. I focus purely on contentious regulation. Welcome to the first episode of Linklater's Investigations Insights podcast. Today, we'll be talking about the key financial services enforcement trends for the coming year. I'm joined by Nick Kiri, Gavin Lewis, and Claire McMullen. Nick and Claire are partners in Linklater's Financial Regulation Group, and Gavin is a partner in Linklater's Dispute Resolution Team. Last year, we saw the return to business as usual for the enforcement teams at the UK Financial Regulators. After more than two years of disruption caused by COVID, the return to BAU working practices has been gradual, but steadily trending upwards, and there were a flurry of cases resolved by both regulators towards the end of 2022. We only have time to highlight three topics in this episode. If you want more, then in the show notes, you'll find a link to our full publication on enforcement trends for this year. The three topics we'll cover today are, first, assertive supervision and early intervention. Second, financial crime. Third, individual accountability. Gavin will kick us off with the first topic. Hi, thanks, Sandeep. Recently, the regulators have made much more use of their powers of supervisory intervention. They want to be able to act faster to prevent consumer harm right at the outset. These powers are used to try and limit the size or the extent of harm at a very early stage, rather than the regulators wait for a problem to develop and then refer the case to enforcement somewhat after the event. There's been a lot of press coverage about this, and it's been addressed in, amongst other things, the FCA's 2022-2023 business plan and also its recent strategy paper. But these powers of supervisory intervention aren't new, right, Gavin? That's right. The powers aren't new, and supervisors have used them in the past. For example, the FCA has for many years uh, considered imposing and imposed business restrictions, for example, where AML systems and control failings have been identified. But I think the key difference now is that the regulators' approach to their use of these assertive supervisory powers is changing, really to reflect their new supervisory approach and I think we can expect more use of these, these powers. There are some bold statements in the FCA's strategy paper for 2022 to 2025. For instance, it says it wants to be more assertive, more adaptive, to use data more systematically, to supervise firms more rigorously, and also use enforcement and invent intervention powers more actively, pushing the boundaries where we need to, they say, and accepting a higher risk of legal challenge. Well, just on that last bit, the FCA is clearly open to a high risk of legal challenge, but what's the upside here? 
I think the upside for them is probably speed and impact. These measures are designed to be much quicker than a fully fledged and drawn out enforcement investigation and can have a much more immediate impact on the firm uh, and on consumers. And uh, the FCA can also get its message out to a wider market more quickly. Hmm. Gavin, we've seen glimpses of this approach in the last year. If you had to pick out one example, what would it be? I hope I don't have to pick out just one example. There are many, and they come across. They come in a range of different contexts. For example, the FCA has taken a restrictive approach to the registration of crypto asset providers for money laundering purposes under the MLRs. For example, uh, GD Plus and Money Brain. The FCA clearly held these uh, providers to high standards uh, to try and police the perimeter. Uh, it's probably impro- imposed more requirements on firms as well. And as part of its focus on improving the redress framework, in one recent case, uh, Bluecrest, it's seeking to impose a requirement that the firm should pay redress to investors, although this is actually being appealed to the upper tribunal. Just on that last point, I mean, are there any concerns in the, in the industry more generally now that they see these examples about how these powers are going to be exercised in practice? Yeah, there are a few. There are a few concerns, I suppose. Firstly, whether enough rigor is being applied to the FCA's exercise of its discretion in using these supervisory powers now that it has taken back decision making about intervention and authorizations or cancellation of authorizations from the regulatory decisions committee through its use of executive procedures. Secondly, I suppose uh, there's an open question as to whether there are enough procedural safeguards uh, over the fairness of how the FCA is using these executive powers. And, and thirdly and lastly, whether there are enough experienced senior FCA staff appropriately engaged in carrying out this work. In some quarters, there's been a suggestion in the press that there's been a juniorization of FCA staff during the pandemic who are actually engaged in some of the frontline decision making. Given these teething issues, should we expect that in the short term, the regulators will focus more on small or medium-sized firms to test the waters before targeting larger firms? I don't think that that would necessarily be a safe assumption to make. In the, For instance, in the context of the introduction of the consumer duty this year, these powers may be used against other firms, not just smaller firms. On that ominous note, Let's move to our next topic, which is an area where regulators regularly test large firms, financial crime. Financial crime has been a constant hot button issue for the regulators. In fact, financial crime enforcement action now reliably accounts for at least half the value of FCA and PRA fines. So clearly a key focus area. Claire, What were the key overarching themes that emerged in 2022? Thanks, Handy. There are probably three themes that come to mind, although it's worth having uh, in mind um, that this has been a a priority for regulators for a very long time now. Um, So first, while particular investigations might focus on AML or anti-bribery systems and controls, the FCA views financial crime holistically and expects firms to do the same. Second, uh, Russia's invasion of the Ukraine prompted a wave of international sanctions, bringing firms' ability to respond and comply to those incoming requirements into sharp focus. 
Third, scams and other fraudulent activity have proliferated during and after the pandemic. This will continue to present a significant risk as the economic downturn increases consumer vulnerability. What were the key FCA decisions in the AML system and control space? Well, last December's Santander fine was perhaps the most high profile last year, with the FCA fining the bank £107.8 million for serious and persistent gaps in its AML controls. This is now the second largest retail fine imposed by the FCA to date. There have also been a series of enforcement outcomes against branches of overseas headquartered entities in 2022 and the first month of 2023. The FCA issued uh, Ghana International Bank uh, a final notice imposing a fine of £5.8 million, another to Gatehouse Bank a fine of £1.5 million, the Guarantee Trust Bank a fine of £7.67 million, and to Al Ryan a fine of £4 million, each one for breaches of the money laundering regulations and all principles for businesses. What lessons can be learned from the, those FCA actions or notices? There are, of course, lessons to be learned from those notices regarding AML systems and controls, failings and the need to remediate issues that are identified promptly. But in many ways, these cases tread very familiar ground in terms of the failings that have been identified at those firms. Um, that translated into uplifts to the penalties that the FCA imposed in some of those uh, cases, most notably Guarantee, which was fined for AML breaches in 2013. Interestingly, both that institution and Al Ryan accepted voluntary restrictions on their activities during the investigation process. And going back to your earlier discussion with Gavin on assertive supervisory powers, this is a good example of how supervisory powers may be exercised in parallel uh, with enforcement powers. And on a similar note, several of the cases followed on from skilled persons reviews that had identified failings at the institutions um, against which action was taken. Such reviews have long been part of the regulatory toolkit and remain a key part of the supervisory strategy in the context of financial crime and elsewhere. Um, when such reviews are in uh, contemplation, careful engagement with the regulator and the skilled person is needed from the outset to define and agree the scope and approach that the skilled person will take and to manage any risk identified through the process. Thanks, Claire. To round off this topic, what can we expect in 2023? I think the focus on financial crime will continue. So we can expect for several further investigations uh, and enforcement outcomes for regulated firms with deficient financial crime systems and controls. And warning signs for enforcement that we see uh, include a failure to maintain effective policies and procedures, a failure to maintain effective flows of information across an organization, a failure to devote sufficient uh, financial and human resources to financial crime risk management, which is a perennial problem. Uh, issues with remediating known issues where, where those arise and a failure to maintain first line accountability for the ownership and management of financial crime risks. Now, that last point around accountability, uh, I think, offers a neat segue into our final topic, uh, individual accountability. A key feature of decisions involving firms in 2022 was to the extent to which they were accompanied by actions against individuals. GAM, Sigma, Kerion, Julius Baer, and Metrobank all involved parallel investigations into senior individuals. Nick, 
does this signal a clear trend that regulators will open investigations into individuals in parallel with a firm investigation? Thanks, Sandeep. Um, it's, it's long been the case for both regulators that they will consider whether or not to commence investigations into individuals alongside uh, the investigation into uh, a, a firm. Sometimes those investigations into individuals are started in parallel to the firm investigation, but there are situations where regulators may sequence their investigations. So that might mean that individual investigations are opened after the firm investigation is well underway. And in some cases, as you say, uh, investigations may commence even after those firm investigations have concluded. What impact has SMCR had on enforcement action against senior managers since its introduction in 2016? As I think we'll come on to talk about, I think this might be the wrong question. <laughs> But in terms of numbers, uh, on in, in disciplinary terms, there have been no PRA or FCA decisions imposing disciplinary action on a senior manager for breaches of the senior manager conduct rules or the duty of responsibility. There has been one successful outcome where both the PRA and the FCA took action against a senior individual at a large institution for breach of the individual conduct rules. And there are a couple of cases in the pipeline which have been referred to the upper tribunal. Hmm. I, I think, Nick, you preempted what I was going to ask, which was, does that feed into some of the commentary or negative publicity around SMCR in the press that it's not working or that it's not effective? For my own part, I think some of that commentary is really quite misconceived. Um, before we move on to talk about the, the, the bigger picture, just on the investigation side, the PRA has 11 open investigations into individuals as at the end of last year. And the last available statistics from the FCA suggest that they have around 60 to 70 open investigations under SMCR against a mixture of senior managers, certified persons and conduct rules staff. So uh, there is a pipeline of further cases, uh, um, th the outcome of which is not yet known. Whilst SMCR uh, was always introduced with that kind of enforcement lens in mind, um, I think it is important to note that whilst the SMCR made it easier for regulators to know which individual has accountability for a business line or a function, it has not actually made it easier for the regulators to demonstrate that an individual has actually breached those regulatory standards. Those conduct rules are very similar to the ones that applied under the approved persons regime. Uh, the reverse burden of proof was not adopted, rightly so, uh, and uh, individuals keep better records of the steps that they do take uh, to uh, comply with their obligations. And so a combination of those factors, I think, does mean that it is not a lot easier to um, uh, bring enforcement cases under the, the new regime. Having said all of that, looking at this through simply an enforcement lens, I think, is the wrong approach because it is pretty clear uh, both to uh, those in the industry and to regulators that the SMCR has had a strong and positive impact on behaviour on, on us from a supervisory standpoint. Um, and specifically, uh, it has been used by the supervisors as part of their supervisory toolkit to 
uh, hold individuals at institutions accountable for the successful delivery of uh, important uh, projects, remediation, uh, regulatory change, uh, business change, and uh, has been embedded into that supervisory process in a way that I think the regulators regard as very positive. So just quickly switching gears to another facet of individual accountability, non-financial misconduct. Nick, were there any key FCA developments in the space last year? Well, I think there continues to be some uncertainty about how the regulators should treat non-financial misconduct, both in the industry and I think at the regulator itself, um, uh, where uh, there was uh, some suggestion that further guidance should be forthcoming. Uh, following the tribunal's decision in Frensham in 2021, specifically around how non-financial misconduct should be considered relevant to the fitness and propriety of an individual in the performance of their regulated role. Last year, the FCA banned an individual from the industry following a violent assault conviction, but the notice issued by the FCA doesn't actually appear to respond to any of the tribunal's feedback about drawing a stronger link between the underlying conduct and the individual's role and the impact on the regulator's objectives. Whether that is an indicator of things to come or simply a product of the fact that the individual chose not to challenge the matter in front of the tribunal is a uh, interesting question. The RDC, which is the committee of the FCA that considers uh, co uh, enforcement decisions uh, where they don't settle, has asked for further guidance from the FCA policy team on how non-financial misconduct happening outside of the workplace should be considered in future cases. So it is possible that further guidance on this will be coming later in the year. And we're also expecting some broader feedback from both the FCA and the PRA on the approach to diversity and inclusion more generally, of which non-financial misconduct may form part. Well, that's been a lot to pack in. I can't believe we're out of time. Uh, we've not covered so many other interesting trends emerging in regulatory enforcement. Well, indeed, Sandeep, there's all sorts of other things going on. We haven't talked about the consumer duty. We haven't talked about market abuse and the approach that the regulators are taking to uh, market abuse systems and controls, technology and operational resilience. There are an awful lot of developments there. So we cover a lot of this in uh, our full publication on enforcement trends. Uh, the link is in the show notes. So please do take a look. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. So thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we've discussed today, or explore our investigation services more broadly, please speak with your usual Linklaters contact, click on the contact details provided for this episode, or visit the investigations page on the linklaters.com website. I hope you'll join us again for more investigations insights.